and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. Um, If you're visiting here with us this morning, we've been going through the book of Revelation. You're in one of the chapters that is... uh, most interesting to a lot of people. They want to hear about who the Antichrist and the false prophet are and what that means and uh, the mark of the beast. And uh, this is one of the chapters in the Bible that is often quoted and um, mostly misunderstood, I think. And so my hope this morning is that as as I share with you from the book of Revelation, uh, particularly this chapter 13, uh, that that it will be clear for you. Um, As we look at this chapter, we kind of want to set our goal for studying. And uh, as I've shared with you, this is one of the most misused chapters. And so our goal um, is for you to walk out of here in fear, pointing fingers at others, especially political leaders you don't like, claiming them as the Antichrist. Nope, that's not it. Um, that's not it. Uh, but, but I do think it's good to, for us to understand what are some goals for us to get when we look at this passage in Revelation 13. So let me, let me try again. Uh, one would be to understand the political and religious climate of the end times. We do want to be able to get that. What is the political and religious climate of the end times? Uh, then we want to assess, am I, as an individual, currently struggling with wrong political or re- or a wrong political or religious mindset that mirrors what we see in Revelation 13? So am I struggling? Do I look at the political world and the religious world in a way that is off the mark, okay? Um, And then we want to be able to spot false prophets who would lead me away from trusting as Jesus as the Messiah, our Lord, and our God, right? We want to be able to spot what is is right teaching about who Jesus is, what is wrong teaching about who Jesus is, because I want to believe in the biblical Jesus. I don't want to believe in somebody's version of Jesus. I want to believe in what the eyewitnesses of the uh, accounts of the scriptures say about Jesus, okay? And actually, if you guys didn't know this, this is, uh, tomorrow is uh, Reformation Day, and uh, if you don't know what Reformation Day is, it's a really important day in the history of the church, because we get to do this cool thing this morning where I'm not going to read in Latin to you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you the Bible in a way, and a language that you know. We're going to go to the Word of God and approach it so that we can understand it. That took place because of the Reformation. There were men like uh, Wycliffe and, um, and Martin Luther that then helped us get the, the Word of God in our language. This is a cool thing that we have. Um, And then they they went back to scripture. So instead of the traditions of men and what they say about Jesus, what do the scriptures say about Jesus? What do the scriptures say about who he is and what he's done and what he promises to do in the future? So that's a really cool thing. If you're not familiar with it, there's some really great documentaries on Luther. There's a couple of movies that have been made about it that are pretty good. Um, Spending time in the lives of the saints is worthwhile. Um, Reading histories and, and looking at documentaries or movies that dramatize their lives, um, it's worthwhile to, to look at history through the eyes of the saints, um, particularly those who have brought us back to the word of God. And so uh, we want to be able to spot the false prophets that would lead us away from trusting in Jesus as Messiah, Lord, and God. The other thing we want to be able to do is gain spiritual wisdom. 
We want to be, be able to see things for what they truly are in a spiritual sense. There is, there is a right way of understanding the universe that we live in, and there's a, there are many wrong ways. Um, the, the right way is through God's eyes. The right way is through wisdom that comes from above, not from me. And in fact, one of my prayers every time that I preach is that what you hear is not from me, but it's from God's word. Uh, I'm going to expound on God's word so that you hopefully can understand it and apply it, but we want spiritual wisdom from God's word. And then we want to be able to grow and endurance and faithfulness as Christians. Uh, we live in a time, and everyone has during the church age, where endurance and faithfulness are very important because there are things that would pull us away. There are things that would push us down. There are things that would distract us from our committed relationship to Jesus Christ. And so we want to grow in endurance and faithfulness as we trust Jesus. And then the last thing in a, in a chapter like this is we want to be inspired to share the redeeming love of God that frees all who believe from the bondage of spiritual blindness. Um, God's word, it should do two things, at least two things every time that we go to it. It should, it should challenge us where we go, whoa, there's some things in my life or my way of thinking that maybe don't match what God says. And then it should encourage and inspire us to live according to God's standards and by his strength. It should inspire us to live a life that ultimately mirrors what Jesus would do in and through us, right? And so uh, that's what we want to grow in as we look at this passage. Uh, on your handout there, I've listed the seven great personages of the tribulation. We looked at five of those last week. If you missed it, you can jump on YouTube and watch it. Um, we're just going to look at the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth in this passage this morning, a world dictator or the antichrist, that beast of the sea, and the false prophet being the beast of the earth. And so that's what we're going to look at as we go through this this morning. Let me pray with you, and we'll, we'll take a look at the passage together. Father, this morning, as I, as I just said, I do pray that any words that come out of me would be um, not my opinion, uh, not my, um, my viewpoint on life, but God, I want it to be yours. Um, I do not claim to have wisdom except for that which you have given to me. And so uh, we turn to your word for that wisdom. I pray that you would equip us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us endurance and faithfulness, uh, inspire us to live a life that honors you. Um, I also pray, God, for those that are here this morning that haven't made a, tr a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would see um, their desperate need um, to be redeemed, to be brought out of bondage, to be given new life, to go from a captive to a, a co-heir, a son or daughter of Jesus, a son, of, a son or daughter of the King. Um, make that really clear to those who have not placed their faith in Jesus yet, and then inspire them, God, to trust you. Um, that word inspired, it, it literally means for a spirit to move us. So God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one more thing before we actually read the chapter. Uh, will you throw up the first graphic for me there? And uh, we're going to talk about essentially two trinities this morning. Uh, you have the, the Holy Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father uh, delegates authority to the Son on earth, and the Holy Spirit then points to the work of the Son. And it's real and it's eternal, the Holy Trinity. And then you have an unholy trinity that is an imitation and it's terminal. Satan delegates power to the Antichrist and the false prophet then lifts up the Antichrist. It's one trinity, the false trinity, actually seeking to replace the true 
God, the true triune God, in the human heart and in the human mind. That is the goal of uh, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet within the book of Revelation. It's also a goal that is ongoing during the church age, okay? And so we just want to be able to see these two things. There's a one true God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a false God, Satan, Antichrist, and false prophet that seeks to replace him in your heart and in your mind one that would lead you to life and one that would lead you to bondage, one that would free you from bondage and one that would keep you there for all eternity. Okay, and so we wanna be able to understand that that's kind of what we're seeing in this passage. So go with me to Revelation 13, verse one. John says, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads. On its horns were 10 crowns, and on its head were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. On one of its, head, one of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worship the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to wage war against it? The beast, the beast was given a, a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. So we look at this beast and it says that he comes out of the sea. Now I want to remind you when we read the book of Revelation, really when you read any book of the Bible, uh, we want to let scripture inform areas that aren't clear to us. So anytime that we, we go to the Bible, we say what does other places in scripture have to say about this place in scripture? We're looking for clarification, what would help us, okay? So when we go to the book of Revelation, it's, it's a book that relies heavily on the Old Testament. It relies heavily on Jewish imagery uh, from the Old Testament in order to portray what John is seeing. And so when it says the beast came out of the sea, when we go to the Old Testament, we know that the sea was a reference to Gentile nations. And so this beast, the Antichrist, is somebody that rises up to a position of power from the Gentile nations. When I say Gentile, that means everybody that's not Jewish. So it's all of us, unless you're Jewish. Um, and so th that's where the Antichrist raises up from. It says that he had 10 horns and seven heads, and there were 10 crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. This is right out of Daniel chapter seven. And so we can go back to the book of Daniel, and we can see that a lot of this comes directly from Daniel chapter seven through 11, particularly chapter seven and nine. And when we look at those places, what's being communicated is a group of nations that come together under a single leader that is then taken over the world, and there's power in that 10 nations 
nation confederation, and in particular, there's seven leaders that are really strong within it, and then one of those seven leaders, the Antichrist, is the strongest of them. It says that the Antichrist, he is like these foreign nations, like the leopard, the bear, and the lion. That's reminding us of the nations that are mentioned within the prophecy that's in Daniel. And so what John is communicating is that he's sort of a community, uh, a, a a amalgamation, all of these nations brought together under one leadership, okay? And so it's not just a series of empires, but it's all those empires brought together under a single ruler, that being the Antichrist. It says that he has great power his th- and, and a throne and authority. So when we look at the Antichrist, this beast of the sea, uh, he is sent forth by Satan to deceive the world by imitating Jesus. That's what the Antichrist primarily does, is he's going to imitate who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in order to trick people into believing that he is the true Messiah. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders. He's fatally wounded and apparently resurrected in an attempt to mimic the Lamb of God. Either he literally dies and there's some sort of resurrection that takes place, or he appears to be dead and is brought back to life. Whatever the case, it's very deceiving to the people. He takes a position of worldwide leadership. He has a second coming. He allows others to worship him. And he embodies the characteristics of Greece, Medo-Persia, and uh, and Babylon. So all those nations, he's representing all of them. The picture is of a single leader ruling the whole world. Um, He's given this position of power by the, or the Antichrist is given this position by Satan or the dragon. Um, He belittles and slanders the true triune God, those in heaven, and the very angels who cast Satan out of heaven in an effort to take God's place in human hearts, okay? So it's an individual who rises to a supreme position of power within the world. Uh, We actually know from Daniel that he promises world peace. There's actually a period where he brings world peace. He has a, um, a treaty that's made with the Jewish people. And then as we've seen in the book of Revelation, he goes back on that treaty and there's strong persecution of the Jewish people during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. The reason that he persecuted Executes the Jewish people is he knows that God's promises are going to come to pass through the nation of Israel. And so if he can squash Israel, he can squash God's promises. And so when you hear anti-Semitism or you see it within history, it's always satanic, right? It's driven by Satan to destroy God's promises. So that's, we never want to engage in racism, but anti-Semitism is particularly demonic, Okay. Um, Some other things we know about the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7, he's talked about as uh, the little horn. In chapter 9, he is the prince who is to come. And in chapter 11, he is a despicable person. You can learn lots more about him by reading Daniel chapter 7 through 12. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning. Um, The other place that he's mentioned, Paul describes the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians as lawless and destructive. He's bringing lawlessness, teaching each person to have right and wrong be determined by themselves. That was the original lie within the Garden of Eden, that you and I could determine law, what's right and what's wrong for ourselves as individuals rather than following God's standard. And that lawlessness brings destruction. Um, We have a lack of harmony with God, and that lack of harmony with God creates a lack of harmony with each other to the place where we hurt each other. That is his lawless and destructive way. Uh, John, who is seeing these visions in the book of Revelation, he mentions the Antichrist four times in his two previous epistles. And so in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. As you have already heard that the Antichrist is coming, 
Even now, many antichrists have come. By this, we know that it is the last hour. And so the person of the antichrist, as we see in the book of Revelation, this is something future. But the spirit of the antichrist and the way that he operates is present within the church age. It could be present within you and I if we're not watching out for it. Okay, we're gonna get into that more as we go through this. But the spirit of the antichrist is present now. And he actually says that many antichrists have already come. One of the commentators says, that uh, if, if Jesus doesn't know the hour of his return, right? He says he doesn't know the hour of his return, only the Father does. That means nobody else does either, including Satan. And so if Satan's going to fight against God in these end times, then he would need an antichrist and a false prophet ready to go in every generation. So uh, there's a way that you can look at history and you can see that it is cyclical because in every generation he's had at least one antichrist and false prophet ready to go, right? They have not taken the full position that the antichrist is described as here in the book of Revelation, but every generation would have that ready to go. Um, Later on in John, the same chapter, he says, I have not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. And so, we learn real quick from John's previous writings that there are those who behave like the Antichrist in the church age. You can spot them, Here's how you can spot them. They deny Jesus' deity and his, and his position as the Messiah. He is either not God or he is not the Messiah. And if he's not God, he can't be the Messiah, right? There's no, there's no such thing as one who goes to the cross and pays the eternal weight of sin as a human. Now, Jesus was a human, but he was also fully divine. And because he was fully divine, he was capable of paying the cost of sin. No one else has ever been capable of that. That's why Jesus being fully God and fully man is important. It's why the early church fathers came together and they said, no, 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 it's not one or the other. It's not one at one time and one at another time. Jesus in his incarnation was fully God and fully man all the time, all the way to the cross. Otherwise, his death does not save. Okay, it's really important. But that's what antichrists or the spirit of the antichrist will teach. Jesus is not divine. And if he is not divine, then his death does not save. And if his death does not save, then you and I have to work our way to God. And it no longer becomes about grace, but human effort. Later on in the book of John, he says in chapter four, he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There have already been. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. So this is an interesting line because uh, one of the things that people do within religion is they have a tendency either to be all about our performance or it's all about a spiritual experience. Well, here's the problem with spiritual experiences. Jesus says that an evil and wicked, perverse generation seeks a sign. And this is why, because Satan has supernatural power too. And so how do you know if something that's supernatural happens in your life is from God or from some other power? How do you know that your spiritual experience is valid? 
It could be wrong. You could be completely being misled by the spiritual experience that you have. How do you know if it's from God? And here's how. He says, if Jesus gets the glory, if the Father gets the glory, it's from God. If I get the glory, if you get the glory, if some other spiritual being gets the glory, it's not from God. So we test the spirits. Just because I had a spiritual experience doesn't mean it was a good one. It doesn't mean that it will lead me to truth. We have to measure these things against the word of God and who Jesus Christ is. One last one in, uh, in, in 2 John verse 1, chapter 7 says, Many deceivers have gone into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. They would deny his advent. They would deny Jesus' uh, deity in his first coming. Uh, and so what we acknowledge as Christians about who Jesus is, is that we acknowledge the hypostatic union. He is fully God and fully man. He came to live as a man to show what living really is. He went to the cross and he spilled his blood for the remission of sins. If he's not fully God, he cannot pay the cost. If he's not fully man, he can't die for us. And so this is very important and not to be denied by the church. He rose again to give us new life and bring us out of bondage and into his spiritual family, making us sons and daughters. He appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. He commissioned the church to then share this message of coming out of darkness and into life, being bound by chains and now being freed in Christ. He commissioned that to us to share it. He then ascended to heaven and he promised that one day he would return for his church and judge his creation. And so we do not deny any part of that. To deny any part of that is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so as we go forward in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist, in chapter 13, his name is the beast of the sea. Um, he'll be simply referred to as the beast moving forward as he was in chapter 11 when he killed the two witnesses. Uh, that the phrase Antichrist, the Greek prefix ante, means against, instead of, or in place of. And so as Satan's ruler on, on earth, the beast acts in all three capacities as this book unfolds. He is against Jesus. He wants humanity to worship him instead of Jesus. And he seeks to usurp Jesus's authority, particularly in our lives. And so while the spirit of the Antichrist is active in our age, his complete biblical personage is yet to be embodied as we see it here in the book of Revelation. Some really important spiritual truths there. And I think as we go through this, one of the things that you could do is you could go, well, the, that, that sounds like this political leader, or that sounds like that, right? You could do that, and maybe you'd be right. I don't know what we gain from proclaiming that out loud. But one of the more important things to do is say, is this in me? Is this spirit, is this part of how I live? Do I deny that Jesus deserves first place in my life? Are there things in me that are against Jesus? Are there things in me that worship something other than Jesus? Are there things in me that seek to take Jesus's authority for myself? And as followers of Jesus, that can happen. 
And what we ask for in that situation, one, first thing we do is we confess. God, I confess that I am operating in a way that is against you. I recognize it for what it is, sin and wrong. I believe that you have paid the consequences for this. And so I'm agreeing with you. I'm confessing it. I'm repenting of it. I'm changing my mind. God, I, I may not be perfect at this. It might take me two weeks. It might take me a month. It might take me five years. But I want you to change the way that I think to match the way that you think. And so that's what we do as Christians as God reveals those things in our areas, in areas of our lives. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear that, that in order to be his follower, you have, to, you have to reject these things. You have to reject the idea of living against him, and you have to begin living for him and with him. You have to reject the idea of worshiping someone or something other than him and recognize that he is your creator. He deserves your devotion. Not only does he deserve it, but he's, he's so worthy of it because of his love and his death on your behalf. You're responding not because you have to, but because you know the love of God. And this is the love of God that Jesus died on the cross on your behalf so that you could be saved from the consequences of sin. You hear that love, you experience that love, you respond to that love by trusting him. And then you give him first place. You give him authority in your life to call the shots. As Martin Luther said when he was at the Diet of Worms, he said, my mind is captive, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Unless you can show me by plain reason or from the scriptures, I will not change the way that I think. And that should be a statement that every believer embodies. If you can't show me from the word of God, then I'm not going with it. I understand what society says about money. I understand what it says about possessions. I understand what it says about sexuality. I get what society says about the, all these things. But if you can't show me from the word of God that it's right, I'm not going along. My mind is captive to the word of God. And so he says in verse nine of Revelation, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. That's an interesting phrase because to the churches in Revelation, he says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says. Here he says, if. And so it seems that the spiritual condition of the world during the time of the Great Tribulation is quite spiritually blind and deaf. But again, what we have to ask is, are my ears open to what God has to say? If they're not, if anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, the sword, he will be killed. If I don't have ears to hear and to listen, and that word listen, it, it implies I hear it, I trust it, I'm going to do it. And, and so if you don't have ears to listen, he says that you'll be taken into captivity and killed. Uh, that to follow the deception of the world and the deception of Antichrist who live in our age and ultimately the Antichrist in the end times is to follow into a place of captivity. He promises life, but it's death. I really enjoy duck hunting and uh, duck hunting season has rolled around and one of the things that we do when we duck hunt is we put out decoys in the water and I've got some calls and um, uh, recently when I was out there, a couple of birds are flying and I, I hit the call a couple times and it sounds like a duck. I'm pretty good at it. Not bragging, pretty good at it. 
the birds turn and they see the decoys and they think, food, life. I'm actually doing a feeder call. Come get fed. They cup their wings, they come in, and we ate them for dinner. <laughs> that is the deception that Satan is doing to you. Here's the decoy. It's, it's, it's an image, it's an icon, it's a pretty lady, it's a dollar bill, it's a whatever. Here's the life, come get it. And we cup our wings and we dive in on it and it's death. So are you going into captivity? Would you like to be free? Have you experienced death over and over again and wonder where do I go for life? I'll remind you again, the God of the universe who loves you and made you became human to join us in our suffering, to experience temptation, to experience loss. Do you know the one thing God couldn't experience was death until Christ went to the cross. And he experienced that for us so that we would no longer experience it, so that our eternity would be secure. The end of verse 10. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. These characteristics are there in every age for believers, but if we're going to live a life that calls people out of captivity and into sonship, being a daughter and a son of the king, if we're gonna call people out of darkness and into life, if we're gonna tell people that the way that they're thinking and the actions of their hands don't match what God wants them to do, that's gonna call for endurance and faithfulness. It's gonna call for endurance in my own faith. I'm gonna have to endure and keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. We're going to have to endure and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, but we're also going to be inspired to draw people into the family. And on your handout, Titus 2, 11 through 14, Paul describes it this way. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Are you all people? Jesus brought salvation for you. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Endurance and faithfulness based upon who God is. Look at what he says there. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ means the Messiah. That's who he is. Nobody else deserves your devotion. He's come to bring salvation for all people and to redeem us from lawlessness, to cleanse us for himself, his own possession. He's instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts. Deny. Deny living in a way that God doesn't exist. Deny living in a way that rejects Jesus Christ. Deny the Antichrist. Deny the false prophecy. 
deny my own lusts and live in a sensible, if he is truly God, wouldn't it be sensible to follow him? If he truly died on the cross for the payment of my sins and to make me a new creation, wouldn't it be sensible to live like a new creation? And so we deny the Antichrist, we deny the beast, we live in a new way. If you're looking for life, you came here this morning and you're in the cycle of death that is without Jesus Christ, I want you to not leave here without trusting him. He really cares about you. He really has done everything necessary to save you. And he really wants to raise you up to new life. Just need your trust. Verse 11, we get to the second beast. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. And so it reminds people of Jesus, but is speaking on Satan's behalf. It exercises all authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. What's the false prophet's job? Worship the Antichrist. It performs great signs, causing even fire to come down from heaven to the earth in front of the people, reminding folks of Elijah. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make the image of the beast who, has to, who was wounded by the sword and yet live. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay, so this false prophet, he's reminding people of Jesus. He's reminding people of Elijah. He's performing great signs. His authority comes from the Antichrist and ultimately Satan. He has great authority. It's satanic. It's temporary, uh, three and a half years. It's global. Um, and we haven't seen anything like this before. There hasn't been a global beast, a false prophet like this. Then uh, we also see that the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they worked in tandem to do Satan or the dragon's bidding. Um, the greatest wonder here that he's able to perform is he's able to give breath to the image or idol or icon of the beast so that it can speak and cause those who will not worship it to be killed. When you read the, the Bible, um, idols are talked about a lot. And one of the things that the biblical writers do to... Um, kind of dissuade people from following them, is they'll say that they're made by human hands, but they have no breath in them. Uh, they're, just, they're just material things. This is interesting because he's able to give an idol breath. We don't really see this anywhere else in the scriptures. And so this question, it's puzzled lots of theologians. They're not quite sure how to answer it. I think the answer that fits the best is that in the context, the Antichrist, a political world leader, and the false prophet, a religious world leader, they work together under satanic power to bring life to a centralized world government supported by a state religion. And you can imagine all the icons that would go with that. And so it's a world government supported by a world religion that if you do not worship the Antichrist, the emperor, they're going to put you to death. Now, if you've been with us during the book of Revelation or have biblical context, you know that people who lived in the Roman world, they dealt with this. If you didn't worship at the cult of the emperor, it could cost you your life. Now, that's within the Roman world. This is talking about on a global scale. 
And so ultimately what the image of the beast is, is it's understood to be like a prophet, priest, and king who usurps Jesus's place in the human heart. You have a religious system, a prophet and a priest. You have a political system, a king or a ruler, and they take or try to take Jesus's place. They succeed in many human hearts. The next thing that the false prophet does, it says that in verse 16, it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on its right hand and on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person the number is 666. When it says it is the number of a person, it's talking about humanity and what day did God create humanity on? The sixth day. And so 666 being a representation of human strength, human intellect, human wisdom, human power. Um, when we look at the, the Bible and we talk about this mark of the beast, um, it's said to be 666. And so in the book of Revelation, we see countless lists of seven. There's seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and so on and so forth. The idea is of completion. The idea is of holiness. And then we see lists of three throughout the book of Revelation as well to indicate unity and completion. And so six, three times, what would it represent? It would be to live completely incomplete. It's not seven, it's six. And it's six three times to live completely incomplete. And it tells us that we have to take the mark of the beast. These people will have to take the mark of the beast either on their forehead or on their right hand. Now, um, I want you to remember that when we look at the Bible, we're gonna let scripture tell us what scripture says, right? So this is one of those things where what's the mark of the beast? I think it's a microchip. I think it's a barcode. I think it's a whatever. If you can find any of those in the Old Testament, I'm curious. What we can find in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6, 8, and it tells the believer to bind God's laws as a sign on his head and a symbol on his forehand. It says, I want you to take God's law and God's word and I want it to be on your forehead. Some people did this literally. I don't think that's what the writer had in mind. Uh, what, the, what God is talking about is what is your countenance? What is your way of thinking? What is your way of life? What permeates your brain, your forehead? God's word, God's law, God's righteousness. What's on your hands? God's works, God's ways. God's justice, God's mercy. And so during this time, people are made to take the mark of the beast. You will think like us. You will approach life like us. You will bow down and worship the Antichrist. You will have the works of your hands match the works of the Antichrist. You will think and live as we tell you to. And if you don't, will take away your right to buy and sell. I want you to remember the letters to the seven churches and in uh, Revelation 2, 9 to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your affliction and your poverty, 
What would happen during the time in the Roman world is there were trade guilds. And if you would go to those trade guilds and you say, you know, I used to do this thing for the Roman emperor, this cult thing. I'm not doing it anymore. Let me tell you guys about Jesus. Like, get out. You don't get to be a part of our guild anymore. Your ability to buy and sell is revoked. And so what happens in the end times here is that if you do not go along with what's happening in the world around you as the Antichrist rules, it's going to be obvious. Imagine a situation, you're raising children. And you're going to raise, I don't know about you, I'm going to raise my children that the God's law and God's words and God's, God's ways are put in the front of their mind. They are on my children's forehead. That's what they're going to learn. I'm not going to do it perfectly because I'm imperfect, but that's what I want for my children. I want their forehead to have the mark of God's law and God's word. I want his name at the front of their mind. And I want to teach them that their hands, your hands do God's work. Your hands bless, your hands love, your hands work for justice, your hands bring mercy, your hands care for those who can't care for themselves. Your hands are generous, your hands are kind. Now imagine a world where the Antichrist is ruling and you have to send your kids to school. What do you think they're going to teach them? Not that. They're going to teach them the ways that are against God. They're going to teach them to think and operate in ways that are against God. On their forehead would be a system that denies Christ's deity, would be a system that denies God's word, would be a whole way of life and a whole way of thinking that teaches people to do with their hands what does not honor God. Now, you're raising your children in that environment. Are you going to send your kids to school? I'm not. Not going to do it. And so I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb. And my ability to buy and sell is going to be removed. And so that's what's going to happen during this time. And so to take the mark of the beast is to live completely incomplete. It's to be satisfied with and love a cheap imitation of the one true God. To take the mark of the beast is to live as though God didn't create you, as though Jesus didn't save you, and as the Spirit of God could not regenerate you and give you new life. And so, uh, give me that last uh, overhead. I want you to return to this unholy trinity one more time. And so we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. He is said to be holy, holy, holy. His, the seven uh, is, is eternal. It's incompleteness. He's real and eternal. You know, the, the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, you could say they're unholy, unholy, unholy. They're an imitation and they're terminal. And so do something with me really quick as you see the division there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18. Well, Paul is writing to a church that uh, he's, he's written to previously, and he's giving them truth. He's reminding them of truth. He's calling out things in them that they need to watch out for. He's hearing things that are going on in the life of this church and warning them. He's giving them guidance on how to follow God.
And these verses, they could, reply, they could apply to like a business relationship. They could apply to marriage. A lot of times people apply these, these, these verses to marriage. Don't be yoked together with one who does not believe. Um, my grandpa used to joke around with me and he'd say, you know, when you're shopping for that bride, you're not really going to spend a lot of time on the dumb and ugly aisle and you don't want to spend any time on the unbelieving aisle. And he was joking. On the, you're supposed to laugh, right? It's a joke. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and you don't spend any time on the unbelieving aisle. It's just not an aisle you shop on. There's no point. But first, Second Corinthians, here we go. It says, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Bilal? And that's another name for Satan. Or what does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. That dry bones rattling song, that's Ezekiel 37. Right before that, Ezekiel chapter 36 is the promise of the new covenant. These words are right from that. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch anything unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So as Christians, we have to ask this question. What do I allow to shape the way that I think? What do I allow to tell me what the actions of my hands ought to be? Because the Pharisees, they took this and they were like, oh, we can't have anything to do with Gentiles and it's so scary to be around one because we might be unclean. Jesus is like, hey, come on, let's have dinner. And so it wasn't that he couldn't be around what was unclean. It's that he didn't allow what was unclean to affect him. In fact, his goal was 100% the other way around. He wanted to be with what was unclean in order to make it clean. What does he do in his miracles? He takes someone that was unclean and he makes them clean. He takes a leper and he removes the disease. He takes a blind man and he gives him sight. He takes a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and makes her whole at the touch of his robe. He takes what is unclean and he makes it clean. And hear me, this is what we're to be as Christians, as little Christs. We go into situations that are unclean and through God's strength and by his word, we make those situations clean. Not we do, he does. As his life enters the situation. And so as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, am I that type of vessel? Am I the type of vessel that the Holy Spirit indwells and regenerates and makes new? And am I the type of vessel that has a renewed mind and I'm continually renewing my mind because it's pretty fickle and I have to keep going back to the word of God and I want God's, I want God's heart so I want him to transform my desires. God, I wanna be that kind of vessel so that when you put me in my workplace, when you put me in my family, you inspire me. Your spirit moves me to bring what is clean into an unclean world in order that it would be redeemed. And if you are not a Christian this morning, you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me. If you pray this, if you say, Jesus, 
I've been stuck in captivity. I know it. I'm in a cycle of death. I experience a little bit of joy by indulging the, my flesh, and I experience a little bit of happiness by being around certain people. But then when I'm alone again, I feel guilt. I feel regret. I'm a captive, and I don't have life. If you agree with him on that, and you say, Jesus, thank you that you have died on the cross in my place and for my sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me new life. I believe that your death saves me and I believe that your resurrection is going to give me new life. I want you to hear that if you pray that, you belong to him. You're his and he is yours. And from this point forward, nothing will ever be the same again. Let me pray with you. Father God and our Lord Jesus Christ, will you give us the strength, the endurance to be faithful? Spirit of God, will you continually renew our mind and bring scripture back to our mind so that we can think we can think in a new justified and saved way. Will you cause the works of our hands to mirror the works of your son, Jesus? Will you develop in us a mind and a heart and a set of desires that is new? And Father, for those this morning who haven't placed their faith in you, I pray that right now is that moment that they pray right now, God, I trust you. I believe in your son, Jesus, to pay for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead to give me new life and I'm gonna move forward in relationship with him. Jesus, we praise you for what you do. We praise you for your word. We praise you that you are the word. You are the eternal logos, the truth that we're all longing for, made flesh among us to bring us into relationship with our God and our Father. We praise you right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.